This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 15. And welcome to the the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows, brought to you by Guns.com. Today, I am pleased to have with me a special guest on the show. His name is Rodrigo, or Rod, Cortez. And uh, we're going to introduce him more formally here momentarily. But Rod, hello. Welcome. Glad to have you. Hey, Riley. Very nice to be here. Absolutely. I'm, th- I'm thrilled about this. Uh, so we'll talk some more about Rod and with Rod in a moment. Today's episode, so you know, is sponsored, brought to you by guns.com, our title sponsor. They are uh, especially uh, ep- uh, sponsoring this episode today. And also CCW Safe, CCWSafe.com is their website. Uh, I think guns.com is pretty self-explanatory, but if you're looking for CCW Safe, the best Concealed carry insurance type program, self-defense coverage. Check out ccwsafe.com. That's what we use. That's what we prefer. And I'll have some uh, brief sponsor messages sprinkled, hopefully, throughout the episode. We'll see how the... We'll probably get distracted, I think, by some very excellent discussion today with Rod. Um, <laughs> but I'll do my best uh, to come back and do some mid-roll uh, reads of those of those sponsorships here momentarily, which we appreciate. And I appreciate every one of you listeners uh, being patient every time we do anything sponsor-related because without their support, it would be a heck of a lot harder to do this out of the goodness of my heart. <laughs> I'd probably still do it, but... It's nice that we have sponsors. So uh, without further ado, Rod, welcome to the show officially. Thank you for doing this with me. And there's something that everybody should know first about Rod Cortez is he's not in the the United States of America. Not even, well, I mean, kind of close. I guess in the context of the world, relatively close. It's not like you're, you're in, you know, I don't know, Australia or something. But Rod's in Guatemala. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. I think you're our first international guest we've ever had on the show. So oh, welcome. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Um, and it's fair to say that I'm not only in Guatemala, but I'm also born and raised Guatemalan. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, uh, it, and it's great being on the show. Uh, up to now, I had just um, heard the podcast and just being part of it is is sort of a big deal for me. <laughs> I appreciate that. It, uh, it's, it's really great to have you. And, and you know, we had the opportunity to meet in person because you attended the 2023, which was our third annual Guardian Conference just a couple of months ago. And that was wonderful to have you and your wife uh, come all the way from Guatemala to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and uh, participate in the Guardian Conference. And so, I mean, just for a little, you know, self uh, uh, promotion, you know, what did you think of the conference? <laughs> <laughs> I think the conference is is awesome. I think one of the biggest things there is the the brotherhood that arises from you know getting together with like minded individuals and just sharing that time. Um, it, it's also a great chance of getting together and, and meeting different instructors in one place. Uh, because usually, for example, I've traveled to the States uh, before to, for training. Um, <clears throat> and 
it, it has to be like a one big trip kind of thing. Uh, right. And, and you only get to train with one person. But in the Guardian Conference, I got to train with, what was it, six different people? Uh, yeah, minimum. <clears throat> yeah. And and it was it was great. Um, just getting to know those instructors, sort of like I, I already have ideas of who I would like to go train uh, with for longer. Um, and I already have the idea that I want to go back to the to the conference next year. Actually, I've been talking to some friends from Guatemala and hopefully if everything works out, maybe it'll be a couple of us going up there. That'd be fantastic. Maybe, maybe eventually we get so many of you that we, you know, we, we've talked about doing more than, than one guardian conference event a year. You know, you get enough Guatemalans there and we'll, we'll do a Guatemalan guardian conference. How's that sound? <laughs> the other thing is coming to Guatemala to do the conference, you know, we've already sort of talked about you coming uh, right, to, right. to do a little bit of uh, teaching here. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's also uh, a plan that you can think about. Yeah. What was your favorite? There, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people thirsty for, for training here. I yeah. just want to say that. Yeah. And we're going to get into that a little bit about, you know, kind of what, what is gun ownership uh, and, and possession and all that, like in Guatemala. Um, and, uh, and, which I look forward to, by the way. And we also are here today, by the way, our, our, the, the title of our episode or topic, if you will, is flipping the kill switch, uh, <laughs> which hopefully, you know, got you here in the first place, some of you to watch and listen to this. But um, we're going to be talking about, I mean, we're, we're all basically trying to be warriors in a garden, right? Um, where, you know, we have the capacity to, to do what's necessary from self-defense standpoint. We have the capacity for violence. Uh, it's not, you know, frankly, if you are one of those people, I'm not saying you, Rod, but like in general, if, if, if folks of you out there listening, if, if you are of the mindset where you're, you're looking for or relishing the opportunity to deal out lethal violence, you know, lethal force, uh, in defense, even uh, that, that's that's the wrong mindset and attitude to have. And, and frankly, like this probably isn't the place for you. Um, nobody here should want to ever have to be in that position. But we recognize in our world all the time here in the, in, in the U.S., there in Guatemala, I'm sure, um, mm-hmm. whether it's Brazil, Mexico, uh, the Middle East. I mean, there's there's violent encounters that happen every day throughout the world. And we want to know how we can be best prepared for them and how to prevail. You know, that's what it's all about. We want to, we want to get home each day, you know, to our families, to our loved ones, uh, safe, all in one piece and whatever it takes to make that happen. Like, you know, that, that's what we're here to talk about today. I think Rod has some, some great, interesting perspectives to share with us, but let's get into that a little bit about who, who is Rod Cortez. Um, you've got, you you are an instructor yourself. Uh, you have a training, am, yes. training company called Urban Defense Guatemala. So why don't you share a little bit about your background? Um, okay, uh, so I guess I think the most important part is what I do for a living, and and this is important because um, when I talk about guns, uh, I don't necessarily come from a gun background. Uh, I am an educator. 
Um, next year, next year will be my 30th year in education, uh, in teaching. Um, I have a couple of degrees. I have an English teaching degree and I have, uh, an education degree, which is, uh, something else. I also have, a a degree from Oxford University of overseas teachers of English. Um, and, um, so, and I have a BA and a licenciatura in education. So, like my deal is is education, and that's that's where I started. Um, I've been a teacher for thirty years, and I've been around guns for about twenty years. So I'm a much I I've been a lot more in education than in the world of guns, um, and probably that that's the reason why I do what I do um, because when I got into guns, it just became a passion. Probably not the first five years. The first five years, it was, you know, I ha- I need to have a gun for self-defense. But um, after those first five years, I, I think I attended my first IDPA uh, competition, and I realized how much I sucked uh, <laughs> after that couple yeah. of stages. I know um, what you mean. <laughs> and, and then... So, so I, I thought, you know, I, I have to, if, if this is actually for, for defense, I have to get better at this. And, and I started training and I started uh, looking for training and, and learning about guns and how they work and all those things. So it really became more than a hobby, a passion. Mm. Um, so fast forward uh, several years, um, probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe ten, 10 years ago. Um, I started, I, it just felt natural. You know, it, it, I, my, my first passion in life was education and my second passion in life was shooting. So it just made perfect sense for me to merge both and to, to get into being an instructor, you know, because that mixes both things. Um, and I started teaching about 10 years ago. Uh, but I just did very seldom, uh, classes here and there. Um, and then eventually, um, around the pandemic, actually, uh, business just boomed because, you know, everyone wanted to get a gun. Uh, the situation of the pandemic was very similar in all countries, but I think that in, I, I hate to say Guatemala is a third world country, but I think we are a third world country uh, still. Uh, even though we're very industrialized and, and and everything, and and it's and it's a beautiful country and everything, but um, with the pandemic, there was a lot of people who lost their jobs. Uh, crime rates went up, uh, and you heard a lot of stories of people just um, wanting to to get defense because uh, to learn how to defend themselves because you had all the all this crime and and there was like this spree of. Um, I'm going to say gangs, even though it's not necessarily gangs. Um, maybe it's more like um, uh, organized crime uh, outfits, uh, breaking into houses and stuff like that. And, and some people died, you know. So it was like five or ten people, you know, uh, breaking into houses. Uh, so a lot of people started buying guns and a lot of people started looking for uh, training and and it was it was then when basically business picked up, and I, I guess it never died down. 
because I, I started tending more towards the business because in the beginning it was just like very exclusive, you know, like I'll, because I mean, first of all, I have a thousand things to do because in addition to, I mean, I'm in education and I'm a vice principal at a big private school in Guatemala. Um, so basically that takes up all my time. And in addition to that, I'm also a university professor and I teach uh, twice a week. Uh, and it, when I'm not teaching, I'm correcting. Uh, so I'm usually very, very busy. So when I started with the uh, instructor uh, classes uh, for, th- for shooting, I thought that I'll do it when I have some free time. But after the pandemic, since it didn't die down, I just started looking more into it. Um, it, it also became a steady source of income that could basically pay for the ammunition that I wanted to. So, so if I wanted to go compete um, and I really enjoyed it uh, and I still do, I, I, I really do. Um, and that's really how I got into being an instructor. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was a very long winded answer, but no, that's great. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate hearing your your story. I mean, it's it's pretty unique, actually. I mean, uh, number one, just the fact that I mean, we're we're here in the U.S. and and so not a lot of Americans have a lot of context for other countries, you know, say Guatemala, and, or what it's like there, or what gun gun ownership is like, or even the fact that there, hey, there is there 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 are firearms instructors there, you know, and 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 you know what the what the pandemic was like for you guys, and I mean. I think you kind of alluded to it, but you've seen a uptick in crime, would you say, since mm-hmm. the pandemic? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when now that it's back to normal, it it's died down a little bit, but it's not like not pre, it's sort of like not ammo pre-pay. prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ammo prices went up, and they sort of came down, but they they never came back to the price uh, that they were before. That's sort of like what happened with crime, yeah. I think. And, and I agree with that here. Like that I, that describes almost perfectly what I've witnessed in my own community. You know, of course I'm in the Denver, Colorado area, which is pretty, pretty good sized metropolitan area. But uh, you know, so naturally as a metro area kind of has a higher crime rate anyway than a lot of places. But I think almost universally, just from people I know, people I talk to, my family, friends, et cetera. uh, Yes. Crime is up uh, since pandemic and has never really quite recovered to pre pandemic levels. And I have certainly also, I mean, like we've seen similar things in other countries as well. Uh, I, I know that I pay a little bit of attention to reports out of Australia. Uh, number one, I have some family there. Uh, and two, like, I don't know. It just, that seems to be one of the things. I, I think Australia is an interesting analog for our country. Um, similarly, they're, they're, we're similar in a lot of ways culturally to, to, to a lot, large extent. Obviously, there's some major cultural differences, of course, between U.S. And, and Australia, but there's still more similarities than there are differences. And, you know, like looking at Australia is interesting because it's quite a bit different than, say, the U.K., even though it falls under, you know, the realm of the U.K. Um, uh, you know, it's a large country. And when you talk to people that actually live there, I mean, th- th- they identify not all that dissimilarly to how Americans identify in terms of being very independent and sort of freedom loving. Um, but yet they have some very strict laws in place with, with respect to gun ownership. Um, and that's interesting because you see like crime rate has gone up significantly in Australia and particularly 
crimes committed with guns have gone up a lot in Australia. And it's like, how does that happen? Because supposedly they don't really have many guns, you know, especially handguns, um, at least in the general populace. And so I think we've seen those trends uh, pretty universally throughout a lot of the world. So uh, it doesn't surprise me at all to hear that about Guatemala. Um, What I wanted to ask you about next kind of going from this is, well, actually, before I ask that, I, I was going to point out just kind of as a joke, but I got to put it out there. I got to be the first to call it as it is. Um, I jokingly, before we went live, re- referred to you as you're the Guatemalan John Korea. Um, you didn't really touch on that too much. You talked about being an instructor, but for, for a while now, you've been doing, you know, you basically post or put out some videos, especially where, where I pay the most attention is on your Instagram account, which is fabulous. You're very active there. I regularly see content from you and you post these short video clips. A lot of times, you know, surveillance camera footage of different, uh, you know, violent acts that, that are committed and kind of like you basically provide a little bit of a, of an analysis. Um, usually like, you're not like hopping on the screen and on the camera, like John does for every one of his videos and, and like breaking it down step by step, calling, you know, the plays, so to speak. But uh, you post a video and you kind of have a paragraph or two saying, hey, you know, this is what went down and, and, you know, here's some lessons learned and this is the stuff we should be paying attention to and, and stuff like that. And I think that's awesome. And it's a, it's a service I think that's appreciated. Uh, and I like that also that you share it in Spanish and in English so that us, mm-hmm. us non-Spanish speakers can follow along. Uh, but I think your analysis on these sorts of things is, I mean, from what I've seen, very spot on. Um, and so, obviously, you know, folks are familiar with John Korea and Active Self Protection and his channel, and he's been doing that for a while. Uh, but curiously, there's some other correlations between you and him, and that he would also consider himself an educator in the way that he's come mm-hmm. up. Now, more religious uh, in nature, but I know he is taught at the university mm-hmm. level as well. And but but I know that he thinks of himself as an educator, and uh, so I, th- I think that's a really interesting thing. And I, I, I think it I think it makes sense why he does what he does and why you do what you do in a, you're obviously passionate about teaching others. And I, I love seeing the merging of the two worlds of self-defense and education and, you know, sharing those lessons learned with people. It helps us all be better. So thank you for the service that you provide. Well, thank you. And, and, and thank you for calling me the Guatemalan John Korea. <laughs> uh, I take that as a compliment. Uh, I, I, I did mention before that, um, that when I started, you know, with uh, uh, carrying a gun, I found active self-protection on YouTube. And I just thought that was the bomb. And I thought everyone should be able to watch that and everyone should be able to learn from that. Uh, so it was like a, a great learning for me. So, and, and that's why I started doing it. But I didn't, like, I didn't start doing it then. But when I got more into the instructing, uh, into the, the teaching, uh, shooting. Um, I, I decided to have other instances where people can learn without necessarily having to take a class. Um, and, and it comes from the educational side. It's, it's like, let's, let's train our brains. Cause a lot of people train guns, but they don't train their brain. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's also something very important. And that's also like coming from the educational side, that's also why I started with the YouTube channel because I wanted to have more 
um, material out there for people to learn about other things, to, to have discussions, also to have fun, you know, like talking about guns and cool things uh, in, in our world, but also instructional videos that, that maybe have something to do with, um, like I have a, a series on dry fire and I've, I've made it so, uh, so that the first video goes after my first class. So you take my first class and then you have the first videos to go home and practice. Then the second video goes after my second class and so on and so forth. So it's, it's added material for learning, um, on the YouTube. And, and that's how sort of it, it, it grew into that. That's fantastic, man. That's awesome. So before we get into sort of the, the meat of the topic that we came here to discuss, I, I did want to ask you a couple of things, mostly for, to satisfy my own curiosity, but I also right. think it's a great educational opportunity for our audience as well, just to, to, just to see that, Hey, there, there are people like us, in other countries that are passionate about the same things and are, you know, passionate about self-defense, passionate about gun ownership, passionate about shooting, passionate about getting better at all those things and, and the, and the other skills associated with that. So um, tell, tell us a little bit more about kind of culturally, what is gun ownership and all that like in Guatemala? Okay. Um, how about we do a little bit uh, – this is the teacher side coming out. Yeah. How about we do Guatemala? What's what's the size of Guatemala? Sure, yeah. Um, Guatemala is a small country south of the border of Mexico. So it's, it's the United States, Mexico, and then the next country is Guatemala. Yeah. Um, we have in, – in terms of size, if you look at a map of the United States um, and if you find Minnesota – Mm. Uh, Guatemala fits exactly twice into Minnesota. <laughs> so that, that's the size. That of puts Guatemala. it in perspective it's a, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's a really small country. Um, I, I, uh, I have a question for you. What's the population of, uh, of your city of Denver? I think in the Denver Metro area, there's like all together, I want to say close to two, Maybe three million somewhere in that ballpark, you know. Counting okay. counting that the whole, you know, Denver and all the kind of suburb type cities that are okay. with it. Like Denver itself, I, I actually is not that particularly big. It might be like seven hundred thousand, but but you know, area wise, it's not super big. But the whole metro area is is a, is a, is, a, is a couple of million for sure. Okay, yeah. So with having that idea there, Guatemala Guatemala City is about eight million. Yeah. Um, the whole country is about 18. So Guatemala city, may, maybe it's a little bit less. I'm going to say maybe anywhere between six and eight it's crazy. in the city. Um, yeah, I just looked it up by the way, Denver Metro metropolitan area is 2.97 million. So I was, I was in the ballpark. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're talking, uh, you know, two and a half, three times, almost three times, uh, population wise in one city. And then yes. your whole country is six times that size. Yeah. Give or take. In, yeah, in an area, in like if you're, if two Guatemalas fit in Minnesota, that it's probably not all that different. Like you could probably fit about two Guatemalas in Colorado. Okay. Give or take, you know? So yeah, that's, that's eye opening for sure. Just thinking population density wise. 
like when when we went to to uh, Oklahoma for the for the conference, like me and my wife were were, were driving around and it's like thinking this is empty. <laughs> this this Oklahoma City is so empty, you know. Um, and and it's because I I don't remember the population that they that Oklahoma City had, but it was like in the hundred thousands. So so not even a million. Yep. And we just felt like where where are the people? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but Guatemala City is a very beautiful city. It's it's a busting metropolis, uh, bustling metropolis, and a lot of business happens. Uh, and and it's very modern. Like you could come down to Guatemala, you don't need to learn any Spanish because I would say ninety percent of the people here know how to speak English, uh, and you'll be able to communicate. We have, um, in terms of tourism, it, that's one of our main things in the country. Um, but obviously, I mean, and I I know I'm doing the the big picture to get to the little picture, um, but um, and and my train of thought just sort of forgot your original question. Uh, just asking about, you know, gun ownership and culture. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then I was headed on the right direction. Um, because there is so much, unfortunately, there are divisions in terms of social status. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people who are very rich and people who are very poor. Um, and there is crime. And, and I think this is something that we'll talk about, uh, later on, but people do recognize that it's important to be able to have a gun and defend themselves, but not everyone can afford it. Um, Our constitution on its article number 38 uh, clearly states that we have the right to own a gun at home and to carry a gun in accordance with the gun law for Guatemala. Uh, so there's a separate gun law that regulates uh, ownership. Um, and we do have a national registry, which n- no one in the United States likes, and I understand perfectly why. Mm-hmm. Um, and our next president-to-be, uh, the, the president-elect who will start next year, uh, he is a lefty. Uh, so we're sort of worried about that um, because – they all, they have all the information who has what, um, and but it's it's rather simple to get a gun nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. Ask ask me again next year. Let's see if it remains the mm-hmm. same. But yeah. um, basically, all you need is paperwork, uh, and and you can purchase a gun. Obviously, you need to. They, they do well. They don't do a background check, but they do. You have to. Uh, State that you don't have any records, any police records or any uh, jail time records or whatever. And and then just paperwork and you get a gun to, to have at home. But if you want to carry, uh, then you have to go through a test, which has three parts. It has a practical test, which is six shots on a 10-inch uh, circle at 10 yards. Um then there's a, a, th- a theory test. Uh, they, they test you on your knowledge of the law and other aspects regarding uh, gun guns. Uh, and then there's a psychological test mm. uh, that you have to go through, which 
Um, truth be told, there's there's a debate of how good that test is in terms of is it really real because some people fail it, take it again, and then they pass it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, we don't know if it's corruption or if it's uh, test design or if it's something else. Um, but that happens. Um, the only, I would say that the, the, the only fact that makes gun ownership difficult in a country like Guatemala because of income is that guns are probably worth twice as much as they are in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, shipping rates and, uh, taxes and, and all those things, uh, make guns fairly, fairly expensive. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll give you an idea, a Glock here. Maybe the price has gone down now, uh, but two, three years ago, Glocks went for $2,000, a Glock, yeah. a Glock 17. Yeah. Um, not all guns are like that. Uh, now now Glocks go around for um, like 1200 Okay. Which is still, which is still twice. Which is, which, yeah, about, about double. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. most guns, basically, if you want to figure out how much a gun is worth in Guatemala, just it's twice. Mm. So yeah. our go- gun ownership rates are still quite low. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's about ten percent, at least legally, ten uh, percent right. of the population uh, has has guns. Interesting. Interesting. Probably, Which obviously it's probably going to be less. Yeah, I, I want to look it up, but it, it, it no, it's probably less than five percent. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I mean, it sounds like uh, just based off of the uh, cost of a gun alone, I mean, that's going to be mm-hmm. uh, like e- even gun ownership in America would look very different than it does if guns cost twice of what they do now. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, I mean, there's a lot of people that simply would, I mean, obviously, you know, if something's important enough to you, uh, and you work hard enough and you save, you put money aside, like you, you can make stuff happen. Right. But like, that's the reality is that's not how most people work. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, when you can walk into a gun store and obviously we have background checks here in, in the, in the U S but, uh, and, and how effective those are, of course, that's up for debate naturally. But, um, uh, but, uh, you know, if you, I can walk into a gun store and, you know, I can put $300 down and walk out with, you know, a Taurus or a, a Ruger or, you know, something like that, you know, really basic, inexpensive, uh, you know, inexpensive gun, right? So uh, there's a lot of people in that boat that that's what they are able and or willing to spend. And if you took everything and made it, you know, $800, $1,000, $2,000 to buy a gun, yeah, uh, a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't have them at that point for sure. So, so that, that in and of itself is kind of like its own, um, I don't say, I mean, I don't know whether it's intentional or not. And obviously there's going to be some costs to bear just by nature of importation, but we do see that in lots of other countries, especially ones that aren't very gun friendly, where Mm -hmm. it's very apparent that, that the government does things to make the guns cost and ammo cost more than what it should, you know, uh, naturally, uh, economically, you know, just like artificially inflated prices because it becomes its own form of gun control. Definitely. I don't think that's what happens here. 
Yeah. Uh, but I, I've seen other countries where that happens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I was just thinking, um, and in terms of uh, the whole thing, like uh, one of the things that I didn't touch up on is availability of guns. Mm. Thankfully, because it, it's in our uh, constitution, most guns are available as long as anyone uh, imports them. Uh, but it basically, not like Mexico, for example. In Mexico, they have a, a ban on nine for for civilian use because they consider uh, nine to be uh, military. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a sort of like a thing like that, but I mean, we can use nine. We have three eighty. We have forty five. We have uh, absolutely everything uh, except for seven six two that we cannot purchase because mm. it's for military use and mm. five, five, six. Mm. However, however, it is legal to buy three Oh eight and two, two, three. Yeah. The commercial civilian equivalents <laughs> of those, those calibers. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyways, yeah. Um, in, in those terms, I think we're better off than California. Yeah. Well, I mean, based on what you explained to me, I, I, I was kind of fascinated just by the concept alone of you're like, well, we don't really have a background check. It sounds like it's kind of more or less on the, especially just to buy a gun. It's sort of like the honor system. Like, hey, do you have any well, any crimes well, on you your do, record? You do have, there, there's a, there's a, a you, you go to the, to, to the, to a police station ah, okay. and to, and you ask for your record ah, and, okay. and they'll tip. They'll, they'll print out a paper and they, they'll say, you have no police record. Gotcha. Right? And then you go to this other place, which is the corrections and whatever, and then they'll print out, you have no no jail record. Mm. Um, and then you take those papers. So basically you do your own gotcha. uh, background check sort of. But other than that, which is very a very easy uh thing to do other than that it's just your id and um a a bill like an electric bill so that they know what address you live in and something like that but just Mm -hmm. it's fairly basic Hmm. interesting yeah it's fascinating and then you mentioned there's there's a provision whereby someone can get i guess essentially a license or a permit to carry a gun in Guatemala, right. but you, that one does, you know, as you mentioned, you got a practical test, you have the, uh, the theory or the law, and then you got a psychological uh, evaluation mm-hmm. of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that all, that all, I mean, I understand what, like that makes sense. Um, it, but you know, frankly, I think it's, it's refreshing to hear that at least there's a mechanism by where, which you can obtain that license or whatever mm-hmm. you call it to, to carry a gun in Guatemala. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, obviously you're, you're involved in um, competition shooting. Uh, you mentioned that a little bit in your intro and yes. I, I know that you, you compete and you just competed in, uh, Oh, what's the name of that big match? Um, Copa Maya. Copa Maya, uh, which is uh, kind of like the equivalent of a, like a national championship, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it actually a regional. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's Guatemala. And then what else? Uh, all of Central Central America, which is El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama. We we had shooters from sixteen different countries, including Aruba. Um, even Spain came uh, to the event. That's cool. Um, 
but from Colombia and Argentina and Chile, we had people from there. Is that um, what, and this is for me, and I know some of you listeners of the podcast, I apologize if none of this makes sense, but is, is that considered, uh, is that your IPSC region then in the world? Is what that? Yes. What, Central America is basically our region. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. That, that, that makes sense. That's cool. And it was uh, a level, level three. Right. Right. So like basically the next level up would be to, you know, go to the world shoot, right? Um, I think there's, there's the world shoot I, I think is level five. So maybe, maybe oh, our region is, maybe that's right. Yeah. So maybe the level four is, is a couple of regions is mm. inter-region I think. Mm. And then mm. the world shoot is everyone. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, it, the point is, is like, you know, people hear about other countries, they hear about, say, Guatemala, and it's like, you know nothing about it, and you know nothing about what guns are like, ownership's like, et cetera, competitions, for instance. I mean, what is what is apparent is that gun ownership is not ingrained in your culture there to the extent that it is here in the U.S., as far as like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously in the U.S., it's, it's very very much widespread compared to most of the rest of the world on just a, on a population percentage basis. Um, but it's cool to learn that it is a thing and that there's people there that do it and that take it seriously and that, you know, own guns and carry guns and compete with guns and, and all that. And so that's, that's really cool. So I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to share some of that with us. I'm, I'm sure we, I could come up with all kinds of other questions, but we need to, to move on before we do move on. We, we, you know, in this last segment, we talked a little bit about gun ownership, buying guns, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know whether you could do this in Guatemala, but here in the U S if you'd like to, if you were looking to make your next gun purchase, you can do so at guns.com. Uh, now the way it works, uh, this is, you know, for Rod or for anybody in Guatemala, but you know, in the States people, like sometimes people, I think probably from the rest of the world, look at America and think we're crazy. They're like, Oh my goodness, you can just buy guns right online, which is true. The transaction, as far as me sending money to say guns.com, that happens. That's true. But then guns.com doesn't just ship it to my doorstep. I mean, that would be cool, but that's not how it works. So that gun's going to get shipped to a dealer where I got to go in, pick it up, and I'm going to have to go through a background check and all that, right? Um, but guns.com, one of the top places online to buy your next gun. In fact, according to survey data, one of the most trusted sites online to do so. Uh, also want to make folks aware of the fact that uh, uh, they have a new ID. ME, ID.me uh, military discount program. If you are a veteran uh, and you're familiar with ID.me, uh, you should absolutely look into that, take advantage of that military discount. Uh, new inventory being added daily. Like that's, it's, since they revamped their whole business several years ago, I mean, guns.com is a happening place for online gun purchases and sales. And you can even sell your gun to guns.com if you're looking to uh, put a little cash in your pocket. So check them out, guns.com. And thank you to guns.com for sponsoring this episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. So Rod, um, let's talk about flipping the kill switch. <laughs> All right. Um, you, you, uh, you, we, and you and I were talking on the phone the other day about, you know, the, the topic of the today's episode. And, uh, and I really liked, you know, what you had to say there. I thought the perspective was, and you articulated it really nicely. Uh, and, and, the, and the way I was thinking of it in my mind, you know, and I kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the episode, is that 
you know, we, we see videos of violent encounters on online, uh, your videos, John Korea's videos, uh, things that get shared on social media. Uh, we read news stories uh, all the time. I mean, folks know for a long time we've been sharing stories on the Concealed Carry podcast that we call Justified Saves. And we share both the good and the bad in terms of um, the good meaning people, you know, law-abiding citizens that legally use justified deadly force to stop, you know, people from killing mm-hmm. them or their or their loved ones. We share stories where law-abiding citizens try to legally use force to defend themselves and fail, like they make mistakes. So we want to we want to learn from those lessons as well. And we also share ones too where it's where you know, the, the legality of their actions is called into question uh, and because those are le- their own series of lessons to be learned as well, because we want to make sure we make good, smart, prudent, legal, lawful, moral decisions as it relates to our use mm-hmm. of lethal force, if necessary, to defend ourselves. So all that is true. And, and, and the point here is, is we hear these things, we see these things, we study these things. If you're here, you're familiar with those things. Uh but that's not how normal day-to-day life is for most people, you know, like I don't w- wake right. up every morning thinking today's going to be the day. Uh, Cause if I, if that's, if it, that's, it would be great if we, if we got a heads up, it would be sure. great, but we don't. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I have to go about my life. I got to be a father. I got to, you know, to five beautiful children. Uh, I got to be a husband to my wife. I got to be, you know, uh, a, 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 you know, partner to my business partner, Jacob here and, and doing, you know, all the, like, I got to live life and life 99.9% of the time is not me having to commit acts of violence, uh, or acts of violence happening to me. Um, but I recognize that that stuff happens. And so where do we go from here? Like, like I said, you, you articulated this very well the other day and I thought of it the the analogy or whatever uh, that came into my mind was, you know, it's better to be um, a warrior in a garden than a gardener mm-hmm. in a war. You you, you hear and, that and phrase before? Yes, yes, and and basically you 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 just summed it up. We can close the podcast right now. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, See you later. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> but yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you know, this is something that I've always thought about because. Um, coming from the educational field, um, I mean, being being an educator, but also being a shooter concerned with self-defense, uh, you you see this clear dichotomy that emerges, and and I can I can see it because we we spend years um, of schooling devoted to like for example from 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 the teacher perspective. Uh, Years of schooling are devoted to ask children to behave. Don't don't hit, you know, don't act out. Uh, calm down. Manage your emotions. Follow the rules. Right? So it's it's been ingrained in 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 all of us that have attended school, church, uh, anyone who has parents, you know, they 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 do this because they, obviously this helps us create a civilized society, um, and society kind of like pushes us towards order. But at the same time, also human beings are pushed towards order f- 
from within. Because if you think about it, why why are human beings a s- social creatures? Why why are we gregarious? Why do we meet in gregarious societies? Right? It's because we want that we want to be together, but for us to be together, it, there needs to be some sort of order. Yeah, some sort so of it's about it's about survival, right? Like at the most like base level, uh, we have society because it helps us survive (laughs) you know more resources means better chance for survival but at the same time you put a whole bunch of people together that also creates opportunities for conflict right right so so like if we're going to live together we need to be civilized we learn we have to learn how not to fight how to calm our emotions down but then there are people who don't yep for whatever reason uh, and in a self-defense scenario, everything that we've been taught in formal education goes against what we should do. Um, and this is what I said the other day on the phone. It's like you have a threat in front of you, but they've always – I mean all everything that's around you, your parents, your, your church, your school, everything that you've had ingrained in you tell, is telling you don't fight, comply, uh, cooperate. And then your life may be at risk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't only need to protect yourself or, or to fight against the threat, but you also need to fight against the indoctrination that you've had through as many years as old you are, you know? Um, and like, I'll, I'll, I'll share my case. Um, as, as a child, I was very strong-headed. I mean, I still am, but um, but very strong-willed. And, and I remember I was very, very quick to anger. Mm-hmm. And through, through many, many years, I've been able to quell that anger and to quell that, uh, I, I don't know what to call it, but, you know, it's like the snap uh, reaction, right? Right. But – it's taken me 40 plus years to, to, to be able to, to put that, you know, like put it in the box and, and don't mess with it because you know, it's there. Right. But, mm-hmm. but you need to relax. But then if a threat comes up, I've, I've questioned, do I have the strength to let the cat out of the bag? You know? Uh, and, and that's the difficult thing because I've spent 40 years trying to put the cat into the bag. Right. Yep. Um, so I guess the problem in a self-defense scenario is that you have to get fight against the threat, but also you have to fight against that indoctrination towards civility that we're talking about. And then things happen. Like, for example, I remember I had a, a female friend, uh, and she did not like guns and I, I already uh, when when I met her, I I carried, um, and she didn't understand why guns. She didn't like guns, uh, no guns, anti-gun basically. Mm-hmm. Maybe not anti-gun, but she didn't get guns. She didn't like guns. Uh, I took her to the range once. She didn't really want to go. She didn't enjoy the time there. Um, and then I said, "But look, what happens if?" Someone breaks into your house and they try to rape you or kill you. And her response was, I don't think I can bring myself 
to shoot another human being. Right. I'm like, what? But but you're gonna get killed. Okay, okay. Let's let's do this. What if they're going to kill? Because she lived with her parents. So what do you think? What if they were gonna kill your dad, rape your mom, and then rape and kill you? How about then? Would you would you want to have a gun? And she said, I don't think I could bring myself to shoot another human being. Yeah. And then you go like, wait, what? But that's exactly what I'm talking about. All that indoctrination takes us there uh, and takes us into creating this society we, where we can live together, right? But it is also detrimental when that society is not the reality. Um, and I mean, there are moments where the crap hits the fan, right? And, and that's what I call chaos, and civilization doesn't work against chaos. Um, I mean, it, you can you can read the Lord of the Flies, right? And, right. and what happens there? Chaos starts winning. Yep. Um, so if civilization doesn't work against chaos, then like, what do we do, right? Um, and I th- I think I'm thinking about different things that I've said, and I'm looking sort of looking at my notes also, so I don't miss anything. Um, but I mean, if everything worked out um, and, and if everyone did what they're supposed to do, and if, if everyone followed that indoctrination, we would live in a perfect society, you know, right. sort of like what you see in Star Trek, you know, yeah, yeah. just people but, do whatever they do. They yep. don't need to get paid. Yep. But everybody's got to, everybody's got to get on the same plan. You know, they all got to be on board. Uh, and that's, that's hard to do when people can make their own choices. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> and, and why, why does society break down? Which is a great question. Like why, why doesn't everyone just follow the, the rules and the norms? And uh, you know, why doesn't everyone follow their indoctrination? Um, I'm calling it indoctrination, but it, it, let's say education. Um, and it's because sometimes lack of education. Like, for example, I'm thinking a country like Guatemala, not everyone gets the same education. Our public system is is terrible. Uh, that's why there are so many private schools in, in the city, because you cannot trust your kids to public education. Mm-hmm. Um, so if but but I mean, there are still thousands uh, of children in public education. So what are their chances in life, right? How are they going to um, earn an honest living? Uh, so, and some do, but you know, the, the you're, you're sort of like setting them up to fail. Yeah. And then because there was no education, there's, there's also lack of opportunities. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, you, we can blame the government also because if the government's not protecting its people, which I mean, that that's another episode right there. Um, there's, there's all these ideas or the, all these things that don't work in society, which create those opportunities for chaos. Um, I, and I mean, not to mention the, um, the, the sides when we talk about sometimes there are sides uh, also, um, in terms of, um, 
for example, when you pit people against people, mm-hmm. that that's an, also another thing. And and you go yeah. towards one side or you go towards the other right. side, and and having that. Uh, well, it's a uh, it's it's tribalism, right? Exactly. There you yeah. go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and you have I don't know you have the haves versus the have-nots, mm-hmm. right? The Republicans versus Democrats. Yeah. Right versus left. Yeah. And and the more um, the more those become defined and that people segregate into those specific things, those like those camps or those tribes. Uh, I mean that's that's kind of where we are right now, especially in the US, as it's become more tribalistic. Uh, mm-hmm. where oh, you don't think the same way as I think, so we can't be friends. You know? And uh-huh. that's it's uh, a bit of a departure from I mean, and not that things have always been easy for us in the world, for us in our country, um, even historically speaking. But by and large, we had differences, but we managed to, you know, come together and work things out. And it mm-hmm. feels like that's being pulled apart. <laughs> I don't know if, about your perspective, but that seems to be the case uh, from my point of view. I mean, looking at all the videos and all, uh, and I, I mean, we're so close together nowadays because of uh, uh, social platforms, you know, yep. and, and everything you see uh, it's, I mean, I've seen videos related to all these things, right? So for example, when, when I talk about the lack of good government, um, if you see, and I'm going to mention California, nothing against California. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually like California. Um, but, if, if you see like how they changed the law, uh, the shoplifting law, and then now doesn't matter how much you steal or, I mean, or at least they, um, they raised the range from it to, from, from it being a misdemeanor to, to a felony. So people are stealing more and you see these videos every day. I see these videos every, every day of, uh, just people doing whatever they want, uh, yeah. And for example, the, the, the tribalism, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to get into that one, but, but you see that every yep. day as well of what, how people think. And in addition to that, there's just people who are evil, Yep. you know, people who, I mean, don't live by the rules. And then we do live by the rules and we do want to follow the rules. Um, so it's, it's difficult how we don't understand like you or I may not understand someone who, who is a murderer, for example, yep. or someone who is a, a, a thief because we don't, we come from another perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the truth is there, there's that constant state of chaos within civilization. We, yeah. we can't get rid of it, whether it's because of crime or, or any of uh, the other things that that we're talking about and i sort of caught you off, cut you off i think you were going to say something no no uh, i think that's all uh, really excellently well said um something you just were just saying just now was making me think of something we've talked about on the podcast before uh the uh it was published in the new york times i think an article written by malcolm gladwell called uh thresholds of violence i believe is well, it may not be called exactly that, but it, it, that's the concept. Uh, 
I think it is called thresholds of violence. And the idea is like in, in, a, in a civil society, um, you got people who, you know, if you, if you rate every, if you gave everybody a score, you know, of what their threshold for violence is, uh, mm-hmm. like, like how far does a person have to be pushed before they resort to violence and chaos, essentially. Uh, and a lot of this is taken from the, you know, kind of studying mob mentality. You know, you got all, cause we saw that during the pandemic, um, and chaos in the streets. And, and all of a sudden you have these mobs just like going crazy and tearing stuff apart and, you know, destroying stores and businesses and, and even homes. Uh, and, and so basically you got people whose assigned threshold score would be a one. Those are, those are your worst, most terrible, most, uh, chaotic individuals in society where, like just on a whim, they will they will do whatever because they just don't care because that's their their mentality. And then you got people on the opposite end of the spectrum that their threshold for violence is a hundred. That's that's the gal who, as you, in your example, your friend, your female friend that was like, I just doesn't matter what's happening to me or my family. I couldn't kill somebody else, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like she, mm-hmm. she her threshold is so high that like she's she's never like there's nothing that you can push her to to resort to violence and chaos and i i don't you know i know that malcolm gladwell's done some other work that's been called into question as far as validity and whatever but i think that this concept is a really interesting thing to consider and is probably not that far off as far as you got people whose threshold scores are one two three ten etc that Maybe they won't, you know, if, if they're a 10, maybe they're not going to be those that are um, making their own decision to just go out and suddenly commit violence today. But when they start seeing their friends and neighbors start to join in on stuff, then, oh, okay, um, yeah, I can go, you know, bust this store window and, and, and rob a TV or two or whatever. Or, um, and that kind of thing, like we start pushing people or the threshold um, – further and further to where it starts bringing more people into that chaotic world um, when things like the pandemic occurs, when things like economic instability occurs. And so, uh, yeah, I think that the pandemic pushed us to places that we've not really ever been, at least in that specific way, or at least for a long, long time, if, Mm -hmm. if at all. And so all of a sudden you have people just, joining in on the in on the chaos that that previously wouldn't have done so you know the pandemic is an excellent example of society breaking down in yeah. the chaos yeah and which i is, don't know why the first amazing. thing to go yeah I, I don't know i don't know why the first thing to to go uh is uh toilet paper i don't know uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> people are really it's concerned happened. about you know not it how- happened here as well <laughs> it's it's amazing it's amazing yeah um well anyway so uh, again we're here to talk about like i thought you set it up really nicely you know we we we're we're born we're raised we go to school like our society culturally trains us on how to i mean how to fit within society because if education if if that yeah education if that doesn't happen then the propensity for chaos and violence is is increased and uh and so that's important 
Um, and I know you kept using the word indoctrination, but I mean, that's really kind of what it is. Like parents indoctrinate their own children. You know, I, I'm trying to help you become, uh, you know, a, perhaps even better version than me. And that requires a form of indoctrination, you know, because you're, you're creating a framework that you're trying to build your children's lives around. Uh, so they become productive uh, contributors to society. And, you know, in, in my view of that, it's a little bit different than your view. It's a little bit different than somebody else's view. And so we all kind of create these, these various uh, forms of these frameworks, you know, um, that we're trying to raise our children within. So, I mean, that's a part of life. It's a part of creating a productive society. Um, but it can be taken so far as to, I mean, I've known people, I've met people, I've had conversations with people that are like, yeah, I, I, I can't kill another person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like you, you're just like, well, how, how, how can that be? Like, there's gotta be a point where you're pushed so far. I mean, I've met people that said they couldn't take a life to, to save themselves, but then you ask them the question, well, what if it was your child? Then they'd be like, yeah, okay, no problem. You know, it's, it's interesting. And I get like, we're all at different places. And that's a, even, even that's a demonstration of how that person's like, if you want to assign it like a threshold score, you know, it, it's only a score of 40 when they're threatened with death upon themselves. But now you talk about death to their child and now that threshold score is a 70 and that that's, that's their limit. They're like, heck no, man, you're not hurt, hurting my kid, you know? So, um, and that's why I think that's kind of an interesting way of, of looking at it. Cause we all kind of have these different levels that we're either willing to do or not do something. And I think that has a little bit to do with, uh, nature versus nurture. Hmm. Um, and like, for example, talking about that, um, I, I love Vark Freeborn. Um, and he comes from a totally different perspective, right? So he has this other side of his world, another view, uh, different from, from mine, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and where we come from or our indoctrination or our nature versus nurture is always going to put us at some point on. And I, I like how you, you're talking about that, that it's, it's sort of like a range, right? It's a scale. Uh, and so where where do we sit on that scale? But the what, what is true is the more educated or the more education we've had or indoctrination we've had, the more civilized we are and most likely less prepared for chaos. Yeah. Yeah. So then I think the whole reason we're having this discussion is how do we be loving, productive uh, beneficial members of society, in other words, peacemakers, because that's that's important. Like we want peace. Society thrives um, under peace. You know, we don't have uh, effective education systems or economic uh, uh, systems in place if uh, if we don't have at least some measure of peace, right? So that's so. How do we have that and maintain that? But at the same time, be ready for and have the capacity for to flip the switch and say, oh, it's go time. Like, I have to do something now that's going to be really ugly and really messy to defend, essentially defend that peace, 
if you will, that I have okay. established, right? How do we do that? Sure. That's like, that's I, the big I, question, I, right? It, it's a, that's a great question. Um, and I think because there is constant chaos within civilization, we, we do have to see this sort of like a chaos versus civilization thing. Um, and it's not a balance that we want to reach. And I think that's very important because it's not that I have to be like, for example, I, I would say civilization breeds civilized people um, and chaos breeds savage people. Okay. Um, and it's not reaching a balance where you will be half civilized, half savage. That doesn't work. Right. Um it's according to your situation, which one you're going to choose. And, and like you're saying, how do we get there? Um, uh, you said about the, you, you talked about the warrior in the garden. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, you have two wolves inside you, mm. right? Which one uh, do you feed? Um, or which one, which one wins? You know, you have two wolves inside you, uh, and they're they're battling each other all the time. Which one wins? The one you feed the most. Um, and I think the point here is you sort of have to feed both. Yeah. You can't only feed one. You can't only feed good because you're going to need that savage person inside you, um, and. Part of it, all right, so part of it is is like the stuff that we do, right? And we, we train, but just taking a shooting class doesn't necessarily make you prepared to flip the switch, right? It, it, it'll make you good at shooting, right. but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll be prepared for the situation. Um, so you need to tap into that savage person uh, that you have inside you. Yeah. And you have to be careful because you you can't go all out savage. You never go full savage, hmm. right? Uh, be, because we l- still live in a civilized society, uh, and if you go full savage, you're going to jail, right? And um, like for example, and you, you, I think you said this uh, at the beginning. You were talking about. Uh, that, that we have to follow the law and, and uh, all these things. Yeah, and, and I guess it's super important that you you be able to defend yourself, but you still do it within a civilized framework, right? Um, so training the savage um, is partly learning how to deal with adrenaline. Um, I mean, there's several things in there, but, mm-hmm. but th- this is... W- some of the ideas that I have is part of it is learning to tr- deal with the adrenaline. Do you know what's really good to uh, what, what helps in, in managing adrenaline? Well, in our, in our field, I have many thoughts about this, but uh, uh, I, I think anytime you can expose someone to stress is mm-hmm. an opportunity for them to learn how to deal with that stress. And there's a lot of ways we can go about that. G- give me one example. Um, I'll give you two examples. One that's uh, more defensive or tactical in nature and one that's uh, less so. So let's go with the less so one first. Uh, I really enjoy competition shooting, 
that even though it's not, uh, I don't think of it as training per se for, you know, a defensive gunfight because mm-hmm. that's not what it is. It's, and it definitely is not a perfect analog for that. However, uh, anyone knows that has, like you talked about showing up at your first shooting match. I remember my first shooting match. And did you get an adrenaline dump? I sure, I certainly Definitely. did. Yeah. You know, I still do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, there's, there's critical moments or there's big matches. I mean, I'm going to be at uh, us Ipsic nationals next week in Florida. Uh, and so, I mean, I'm probably going to feel that to some extent. I mean, I've gotten a lot better at being able to manage that. So shooting competition has helped me in dealing with adrenaline, um, you know, in that context. Uh, now, the other way would be any any opportunity you can get to do force-on-force training is another great example uh, that, again, you typically are going to experience uh, adrenaline dumps and it's, uh, you know, it's going to be intense. And, but, uh, you know, these are two examples. One's a little bit more tactical in nature, uh, one less so. Uh, but I think they're both, and, they're, and that, those aren't even the only options out there, but I think those are two good options uh, that are at least somewhat accept, accessible. The force on force training one is probably less accessible to average mm-hmm. folk mm-hmm. though right because there's not just and like, like in guatemala there there are no force on force trainings yeah it's very difficult to get i mean unless i would make one for myself sort of thing right i'll give you i'll give you a third example uh and that would be and, and it's basically force on force just minus the guns and weapons and that would be uh, you know martial arts uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu um that kind of thing right and 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 honestly like that's kind of where my mind was going as you were talking about, you know, like, okay, there's the savage and then there's, you know, uh, uh, civil, you know, civilized, you know, being a civilized person. Um, there, there, I like how you said about, there's, it's not about striking a balance. Um, but it's choosing you ha- the you one have that to, you need according to the situation. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, it's like with my kids, especially, especially my boys. Cause they're more, they're more, um, wired for that uh but uh you know we we, we wrestle and we kind of like the other the other day um my my poor wife she's like stop 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 me me and my oldest son 17 and he's he's full size now as far as like he's he doesn't have the weight on me but he's he's over six foot tall i'm six foot three you know and we were grappling in the living room <laughs> we were wrestling in the living room and uh you know and and i took his back and had him in a in a choke basically. And she's like, stop, stop, stop. And I'm like, and, and I'm like, Scott is a big boy and he can tell me when, you know, when he's done and he kept fighting and fighting and he, you know, and, and I love that because that's a part of training that capacity for violence. That's a part of that, mm-hmm. you know, training him for the savagery that he may find in the world. That's a part of the dealing with the adrenaline. I mean, what happened when we got done? He, he eventually tapped out of course, and we, you know, jump up and we're both, <sighs> you know, because we just expended a lot of energy and adrenaline's mm-hmm. coursing through the veins. So anyway, there's there's three good examples uh, that that you know I think people have an opportunity to pursue. Sorry, long, a little bit a little, little bit long winded. Uh, I'm sure then. We'll no, no, but more. but that's great because you said what I was going to say. As a matter of fact, in my notes, number one, uh, dealing with adrenaline competition. Ah. Because yes, it does help. And if you if you've ever made a mistake 
halfway through a stage and you can still think through it, through the, the stress and the adrenaline and the rush, you can still think and fix your mistake. Yep. That's a skill, a great skill to have in terms of uh, when you uh, when you need to think within a very stressful situation. Uh, my number two was force on force training. Uh, so that I mean, that's basically it. just putting putting yourself in very similar situations that you'll have to deal with and practice those situations that you'll have to deal with. And and then you said maybe. Um, you, you sort of downplayed on the competition, but you know what's very interesting? Um, I saw a video of JJ Rakaza doing force-on-force training, and he killed it, man. He was so good. As a matter of fact, he, he was so good that on one of his attempts, the people doing the force-on-force uh, put a snap cap into one of his uh, into one of his mags. So when he fired, the gun didn't fire. But he just cleared it and kept on firing, like on the spot. Uh, so the competition does give you skills that you can actually use in real life. Um, and then my number three was to learn how to fight, some sort of physical contact, martial arts, stuff like that. And then you you get used to it. Like the first time you get punched in the face, it's, it's bad. It's horrible. It, and no one is used to that. But, yeah. I mean, if you get used to getting punched in the face – Hopefully you're good enough not to get punched in the face. But if if you get used to physical contact, then you'll be ready for physical contact. Uh, the one other thing that I have on my list uh, is uh, practicing verbal skills, like your verbal judo, right? Yes. Because I I have a very witty witty friend who is great uh, for getting into fights uh, because he runs his mouth. But how many of us? practice de-escalation so so that's also important in terms of uh, getting into into problems yeah now um at, at the beginning you sort of talked about how this is not a show for people who want to who revel in the idea of shooting someone mm-hmm. which is absolutely right uh because you know you you can have like I'm thinking of the Karate Kid and and the bad guys and the the, the one with Rolf Macchio, by the way, not uh, not uh, Jackie Chan, but Pat Morita. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. <laughs> so no, I'm just saying because when you say now uh, the Karate Kid, people think of uh, Jackie Chan and uh, Will Smith's kid. Um, mm. So, anyways, uh, the 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 bad guys in in the movie, the the bad karate guys. And that sometimes happens with people who get too much into the, into the savage, you know, like they, they want to be yeah. forceful. They sort of push people around people who do jujitsu too much. Uh, and they, they go to parties and pe- put people into chokeholds. And that's like not normal because they've only trained the savage. Yep. And then if you really want to have that, uh, decision to choose and to be able to use both and not going full savage, you also have to train the civilized person inside you and the logical person inside you and things to do there. For example, uh, learning how to shoot, training, technique. That's something for the logical person. Like if, if you get a malfunction, what do you do? Because if you don't know how to do it, 
That knowledge is not there. So you also have to have that knowledge. But also things like learning the law. Learning the law is super important because then you know that if you go full savage, you'll go to jail. So you need to learn how and when and how much and how little to do. And then I think training the brain is important. And that's, that's sort of why I do what I do on my Instagram, like the sharing of the videos, because that is how you train the brain and you watch other people having these situations. You put yourself in their shoes and, and you say, well, they did this well. They did, they, they could have improved on this. And it's not a Monday morning quarterbacking. It's, it's sort of like analyzing like if I had been there, would I have been able to do this? Would I be able to stop? Would I be able to do this or mm-hmm. to do that? And, and getting yourself into the f- mind frame of if I ever have a situation similar to this, how should I act? Yep. Um, so you have to have both sides. You have to train the savage, but you also have to train the civilized person within these, these things. And I guess that's one of the main reasons that I, I did the, I started doing the Instagram thing because I think that's also important. And, and you'd be amazed at the amount of people who don't, don't know they're they're like oh why didn't he shoot him more or why didn't he kill him or, or or this or that and i mean you emotionally you can understand it but but legally that's the issue and if you don't understand those things logically and if you, if you don't train that civilized man you're in for a world of hurt when you go to jail yeah right well said and i think uh I, I think you just covered that all very, very beautifully. It's all very, very true. Uh, good, good uh, moment of kind of reflection. You know, I'm thinking through a lot of things as you're going through that. So um, we're going to have to start wrapping it up here, but uh, uh, I'm going to give you a, f- a couple more minutes to share a few more things with us. But I did want to make sure that I mentioned, you know, we're talking about use of force and obviously we want to, be civilized. We want to make good decisions, good legal ones, especially. Um, but even when everything goes right, even when we do everything to the best of our ability, as right as we feel like we possibly can, sometimes mistakes are still made. And sometimes the law, the prosecutors, if you will, uh, maybe don't see it the same way we see it either. And that's why it's a good idea to have backing us up companies like CCW safe. So, Go to ccwsafe.com and sign up for, in my opinion, the best self-defense legal coverage program out there. Uh, probably not available in Guatemala, unfortunately, but uh, no. it is available here in the, in, the, in the U.S., in most of the U.S. There are a couple of exclusions uh, for a couple of states, unfortunately, and that's true of pretty much all the programs because those states hate us and they hate you and they don't want you to be able to defend yourself. But anyway, uh, ccwsafe.com. Sign up today. And if you want to save 20% off of your CCW Safe membership, you may, might also consider joining Guardian Nation. And you can learn more about Guardian Nation at guardiannation.com. So thank you, CCW Safe, for sponsoring this, this episode. Uh, so a couple minutes, uh, Rod. Um, I feel like, I mean, we've covered, we've covered a lot of ground here. and We've talked about a lot of good things. And I think you've provided a, an excellent roadmap of what can we do to help prepare ourselves, to train ourselves, to teach ourselves to, you know, to, to, to 
be able to deal with violence, even though we're trying to live a civilized life. And I, I liked where you kind of ended that last little bit talking about training our brain. Because I think of that as well. And, and I think that's also a similar motivation for us doing the Justified Save episodes that we do on the podcast mm-hmm. as well, is to share those lessons. Uh, I, I think of it as creating mental cues um, of, you know, if you study enough of these different incidents, uh, obviously it's great if we can, if we can pair our training and education with things like force on force training and and whatnot, but since that's not always possible or it's not possible to do it enough that we see all the different possible combinations and scenarios, but through seven, seven plus years of analyzing these types of incidents, self-defense incidents, you see things and number one, you see kind of, you see common themes come out of it as far as you're like, oh, I've seen that one before, you know, and, the, and, and you start recognizing where people commonly make mistakes, both tactically as well as legally. And so those kind of become themes for your life to be like, that's something I've seen people, a, a number of other people do and make the mistake of, and I'm going to try to avoid that. But also you sometimes come across some really weird ones that are probably very rare and you may you know that may never happen again but just by seeing kind of the weirdness the extreme end of what could happen it also i think helps prepare you mentally to go hey there's some bizarre stuff that's happened uh and and that creates a context i think that we can you know because one of the problems we see with self-defense situations some that people sometimes freeze because something so far out of the ordinary occurs that they have no frame of reference for and they can't wrap their head around it and they don't know what to do. And so hopefully by thinking through extreme situations, even you start creating these mental cues of, Oh, that's bizarre, but wait, I think I can put together a plan. You know? So yeah. that's, that's how it makes I perfect sense. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Cause one of the first reasons you freeze is because you come to this unknown situation. But if you see a semblance of something that is known, then there should be something that you can do about it. Yep, exactly. Very good. So as we wrap it up here, uh, what are your final, call it your your closing argument of today's podcast? I think that the most important thing is that we need to learn um, that there is, like we want to be civilized, there is... chaos and we need to understand that there's always going to be chaos we we won't be able to eradicate it so as self-defenders we need to prepare for the chaos that means tapping into the savage person within us and knowing learning that when to let the savage out when to flip the switch um and knowing that by by training but you train the savage and you train the civilized man as well. Very good. I appreciate you so much for coming on the Concealed Carry podcast and sharing uh, your thoughts on this with us today. I think this has been a, a fantastic episode, and I, I certainly hope that the viewers and listeners at home or wherever you are uh, got a lot out of this. I I did. Just, I mean, having the conversation with you and giving, being given the opportunity to think uh, through these things. Uh, even if I've thought about them before, it, it's, it's, it's good to go deeper and to share ideas with other people uh, 
including someone like you that comes from a totally different background than what I come from, you know? And so yeah. I feel edified, if you will. I feel uplifted in having been able to, to, to share this, uh, this opportunity with you. So thank you. Thank, well, thank you. Like for me, it's a, it's a big deal because I mean, what you guys do has also fueled what I do uh, because I've been listening to the podcast for so many years. And uh, so being able to give back means a lot to me. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Folks, uh, again, Rod Cortez. Actually, Rod, uh, plug for us. It, the, the links are in the show notes already, but okay. tell us uh, where can folks find you on social media and on YouTube? Okay, so Facebook, uh, you can find me as Urban Defense um, or Urban Defense Guatemala as well. That one works as well. Um, in YouTube, um, Urban Defense Guatemala, um, that's the channel. It's for Spanish speakers, so it's all for Spanish speakers. But uh, we found out, I found out today, thanks to Riley, that uh, you can actually use subtitles in that, uh, subtitles in English. That's really cool. Um, and on Instagram, which is basically where I post the incidents, uh, and the analysis of the incidents, I'm, um, you can find me as at UD Guate. So UD stands for urban defense and Guate Guatemala. So UD Guate, that's how you'll find me on Instagram. So U-D-G-U-A-T-E. That's right. All right, folks, go follow him, and uh, I, he puts out good stuff, guys. Seriously, I, I enjoy his Instagram, and having actually just discovered his YouTube, I will be paying attention to his videos there as well and making use of the YouTube feature to do uh, closed captioning or subtitles with auto-translate setting in place, and it converts them into English. And it's not, I mean, it's not perfect, but it works well enough so I can understand what the heck he's saying. <laughs> So, good stuff. Folks, a reminder, today's episode is sponsored by Guns.com as well as CCWSafe.com. Thanks to them and thanks to all of our other sponsors and thanks to all of you listeners and viewers for your support of the podcast. Until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. (laughs) 